You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to Hell Week here at the conservative conscience. In a week that seems 10 days old, but I guess we're only in the fifth day here. It's late Thursday afternoon, December 20th. Um, This is Daniel Horowitz, by the way, in case you didn't hear from the tone of my voice. The, you know, the truth is, I'm actually kind of invigorated. I don't know why. Sometimes you, you, you maybe hit rock bottom where you, you mourn and you're ready to move on. Um, we knew we were going to lose the jailbreak bill vote a long time ago. Heck, at least we got 36 no votes in the House. We feared we'd only get three or so. So, um, you know, that is uh, one thing we'll get into. But, man, what a week. I- I'll just tell you. The one good thing, see, everyone's asking me, Daniel, say something positive. Okay, well, let's let's come out with some things positive. Well, first of all, the one positive thing I said was that um, you might have an easy Christmas break if you're an activist now because, uh, you know, they're caving on everything. Well, the bad news on that, but it might be good news on policy, we might have finally gotten Trump to fight. Because there was a modicum of leadership exhibited over the last 24 hours by people that you can loosely call conservative figures, conservative movement people, conservative media. And that in itself has amazing lessons built in. And I want to get to that as well. So that's one good piece of news that, you know, and it's very fluid. It's late Thursday afternoon. I hate um, prejudging this. You never know. But there are already lessons to glean just from what just happened. You know, I, I as you all know, I don't like opining on things that just change. That's why I like, you know, either going forward or backwards, but not doing it middle. But there are lessons that we could already learn um, from what is going on. But one other good thing is that I actually lost a few pounds. So I started to get to the point. I never I never really gained weight in my life, but I was finally, you know, the 10 years of marriage is really getting to me. Um, I mean, getting to my stomach, if you know what I mean. You you always uh, gain weight when you're in your 30s. And I didn't fit into any of my pants. It was, it was becoming a big problem. So every day the last couple of weeks, I didn't eat breakfast. I was just, it was so busy. So I only had two meals a day and it's showing. So uh, that's good news on my end. You know, I didn't intend to lose weight, but there you go. It's, it's just been, I have, I owe my wife, you know, some time off. And uh, as, as many of you do, you all work hard nowadays. There's so many jobs that really are nine to five, but it's been from morning to night, um, trying to think of solutions, trying to cover all the issues. And by the way, if, if you don't follow me at RM Conservative on Twitter, that is where I'm the most prolific. Obviously, I write in, you know, 10 articles a week or so. It's the articles. But if you really want up to date, a lot of things I don't get to talk about, write about, or I mean to talk about, but forget because there's just so much going on, you could find that um, on Twitter. Sometimes I know I'm a little cryptic because I'm just very quick, you know, kind of intimating that certain things are going down in Congress or whatever. 
But anyway, gosh, what's going on? So Trump is literally having a ceremony right now to sign the stupid farm bill that has every last component of agriculture and food stamps that he himself wrote in his budget or his OMB director wrote for him to cut. And this bill is expanded. And it's grown. But it doesn't matter. And he's signing the jailbreak bill after his entire career. He made fun out of every provision and every philosophy underpinning this bill. But that's how he is. And I think that's a good way to really set the tone for the day of the lack of leadership. The lack of leadership on the right. That is the problem, that we have a lack of leadership at the elite level where you usually need it. I don't mean elite in a negative way. I mean, you know, people that kind of work in the, in the field. We have a lack of that leadership, and that is why it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where the stronger the swamp gets, the stronger it gets because the stronger it has a gravitational pull, the more good people are willing to stand down and the less positive energy you have in the other direction, the more everyone's just going to get sucked in and it plays on everyone's worst uh, instincts. And that's what you're seeing on everything. So I'm going to give you the thesis for today, which has to do with the CR budget border fight and Trump, and then go to jailbreak, just wrap that up because it's over, and then go back to the border and maybe some other issues. So what you're seeing literally as of now, about 4 o'clock, 4 p.m., Trump is actually promising now, you know what, I'm not signing a a bill without border funding. What happened? What happened? Well, for the first time in two freaking years, a number of conservatives, and it also helped because you had so many hits keep coming, just so many screwballs that finally it bled out into the mainstream conservative media, meaning even not on this type of show. And people were furious, and Fox figures, and then finally, Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh said, you should know when I titled the podcast from earlier this week, Trump's read the lips moment, I didn't get it from him. I mean, he didn't get it from me. He doesn't listen to this, but we both thought of the same thing. He said that Trump heard of it. And then Rush goes on today's show. And by the way, I don't listen, but you know, it was all over the news and, and announces that Trump called him 20 minutes earlier. And he says, I'm not giving in on this. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not signing this. Look, what, what does that tell you? It tells you he cares about what Rush Limbaugh feel, feels about him. You know, every time I want to do something, I'm like, why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? I, and I talk with my buddy, Steve Dace. He always says, well, Daniel, you got to get Rush, Drudge, and Fox News on board. <laughs> Maybe you could throw in the Cokes. And he's so right. It doesn't have to be this way. What's the biggest thing I've been drumming into your heads the last two years since Trump took office? The biggest narrative. Trump is neither Haman nor Mordecai. He is King Xerxes, the Persian king in the book of Esther, where he's all over the place. 
If a good guy gets to him, he'll listen to him. If a bad guy, he'll do the opposite. And you're seeing that today with the farm bill, with jailbreak. It doesn't have to be that way. And as much as there's a lot of things I don't, I don't like about Trump, I think what we all recognize is that he cares about what conservatives think. But if conservatives are either silent or conservatives tell him that they want liberal things and that's really conservative like jailbreak, he'll do it. But if you get in his face and say, your presidency is worthless, if you, if, you, if you go now without the border wall, you're done. It got to him. I'm not enough. But if Fox figures say it, if Rush says it, you better believe it will make its difference. I'm proven right. Meaning even if ultimately he winds up caving, it will be because we didn't have enough of a sustained movement. We didn't have um, you know, enough people on message. But that's where we are. That is where we are. Now, Trump is about to speak. He's going to comment on, on, the, on the bill. But um, this is very fluid. So again, I, I, I wanted to, there's enough new things that I wanted to get out that I wanted to make sure you didn't miss. So that's why I didn't wait till tomorrow, something I normally would have done just so you have more clarity. Because I just don't like wasting people's time. But I'm just saying, just for this, this is a very big, important lesson. Such an important lesson. That your voice matters if you raise it. And we're going to be thinking of different ways we can magnify, magnify the voices of this audience. And, and again, I am so thankful for all your messages, your ideas, your encouragement. It literally has reinvigorated me. Um, I gotten so many messages. I just I feel bad. I don't have time to respond to all of them. Or sometimes you really write me very thoughtful emails, and maybe I only have time. You know, only have a sentence response. Just know it really means a lot. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to try to respond as much as I as I can. Um, a couple man, there's so much going on here. So anyway, that's the point. Jeb Bush, look. You will never agree Je- get a guy like Jeb Bush if he were president to agree to have a budget brinkmanship fight. Certainly not right before Christmas. It's like, oh, shutting down the government for Christmas. And by the way, that's that's another joke. See, they're going to talk about midnight tomorrow night is the shutdown. The government is always shut down on Saturday. Meaning the stuff that doesn't shut down doesn't shut down even without a funding lapse anyway. And the stuff that does shuts down anyway, even with a funding lapse over the weekend. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday is Christmas Eve. Trump already shut down the government. He issued an executive order a while back. Um, I guess that I mean, this is the normal practice. Christmas Eve, government is off. Tuesday is Christmas itself. So it's not till Wednesday morning anyway. This whole thing's a joke. Whole thing's a joke. But the point is, Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, they wouldn't have done this. I don't know if Trump's still going to do it. This is very fluid. But what I do know is he's open to what we, we have to say if we say it. And this is why I feel like strangling Rush and these people. Where were you for two, for two years? This is the seventh or eighth opportunity, and now the, the clock is running out. Let's face it. Democrats could now, you know, I still, I'm, I'm, I'm all for having the fight, but they could wait them out because they're going to take over now in J- January 3rd. Where were they when we had the time on the clock? 
Where were they when they could have influenced the outcome of the election? You know, I, I, I kept saying rather than spending a year saying fake news, fake polls, really Republicans are winning. There's nothing conservative about that. Say, no, you're losing because you're a bunch of losers and you're going to lose if you don't have substantial victories. But they didn't do it. So, in fact, this is a self-indictment on Rush, what he's been doing until now. Where were they when it mattered? Now, look, we're going to deal with what we can have and try to do this, but it's very hard also when you don't have Republicans that are willing to sustain the messaging and force to force a long-form conversation over the border. So there's that. So much going on. So much going on today. I'm just watching this press conference um, or a signing ceremony. Wow, is there so much going on. Um, <sighs> Man, is this crazy. Anyway, anyway, speaking of a lack of leadership, lack of leadership, this jailbreak bill was something else. I've, you know, you're probably exhausted from hearing all the policy and political problems. I'm just going to talk to you now about the process of what took place. To the degree that you believe that this bill is important and agree with it, that that is the degree to which it is a self-indictment of the process through which its supporters pushed it through. It was in a fascistic way in every sense to stifle any debate, any transparency, any public know-how. They originally passed the bill yeah, there was a committee markup, but no one knew. No, there's committee markups and everything, and no one had the sense that this was going anywhere. They brought it up under suspension, which means ex- often they'll have like 30 post office naming bills uh, commemorating this or that. You know, So it, it requires two-thirds vote to pass. They're meant for non-controversial legislation. Only three no votes in the House. No one read it. Not a single person knew anything that you're revamping. Let's just call it revamping the entire criminal justice system, okay? I'm not I'm not going to give a loaded turn, jailbreak, right, left. I'm speaking now whether you support it or not. So that's what happened. They called it the First Step Act. And that was very important because that was a new bill. For years, they had this Sentencing Reform Act that everyone knew about in the Senate. And the House members didn't read the bill, they didn't know anything about it, but they knew, especially the conservatives that wound up inadvertently voting for it, knew that it wasn't the sentencing bill because it was called the First Step Act. By the way, there's so much deception you should know in the way they name these bills. It's very important. Not just in like the public PR, but also in the technicalities of legislating. You know, So not just the public, but members don't necessarily realize what's going on. Then... Rather than having a full process on this bill in the Senate, we don't have a Senate process. We have an NGO process, non-governmental agency. All the jailbreak organizations run by Soros and the Kochs work with the White House. They take the longstanding Senate bill that never had its time on the floor, had its time in committee, merge it with the First Step Act. Then they change the First Step provisions a number of times. 
put it together. It's a totally different bill. Slam it on the floor of the Senate in the final week of the lame duck with the biggest chaos on so many things around. No open process. This is the one area of criminal justice we're going to debate. They brag about having a, you know, the biggest reforms in three decades, and then they treat it like it's a footnote and slam it through. Then it went to the House today. They brought it up under suspension again. When Scalise put out today's floor calendar, he didn't even name the bill. I mean, again, I'm not arguing against it now. I'm saying, let's say you're a big supporter. This is a big deal. You want it loud and proud. I mean, we're going to reform criminal justice today. We're going to vote on the criminal justice bill. We're going to vote on the First Step Act. Didn't say any of that. It was, we're going to vote on this tax bill. They had some stupid tax bill. And then 35 suspension bills, which they, they no one reads. And they ensconced this for like a tiny bit of debate within the suspension bills. And, it, and you know, the rationale is like, oh, we don't need a committee hearing, a new process, much less, at least if you're not going to have a committee process, at least a regular floor debate, much less suspension. Because we already passed it out of the House. It went to the Senate. Now we're just passing it. No, it's a totally different bill. That's how dishonest they were. I, I wanted to give you the full process. They knew that if this had any sunlight, it couldn't stand, stand to scrutiny. They couldn't tolerate any opposition. They were always going to have the votes. But they didn't want overwhelming, like, no votes. And that's how they won. Because then people start asking, wait. If every single Democrat and all the like most of the most conservative members, you know, barring a few of the weird ones like Mike Lee, you know, vote against it. Well, there's something wrong here. They want to completely change what it is to be a conservative on this issue. It's not just about passing it. That's why it's so important we continue fighting on. It wasn't just about this bill. It's deracinating every aspect of law and order. So. It stung to high heaven. and. What happened was I was passing around a memo from Cotton's office. It wasn't even criticizing the bill. Like, these are the 10 problems with it. It just pointed out, you should just know this is not the same bill that passed the House. Here are five important, very important differences. Again, one of them being that the House bill originally wasn't a full jailbreak. It let them into home confinement or halfway houses. The Senate bill was the one that made it full release. And then, of course, edit on the front-end sentencing reductions. And yet, when some conservative staffers passed that around, they got this fascistic blowback. You can't send that around. It's like you, you would do that on any other bill. Always. I have never seen anything like this in my life where you or no one was allowed to even be heard. And that's what happens when there's no positive leadership. Everyone's scared and they gravitate to the bad guys. And it's just like it's it's just a cascading effect. I'm going to link to in show notes Louis Gohmert's speech. Louis Gohmert is an amazing human being. Louis Gohmert's been there for a long time, like 15 years at least. And he's never wavered. He has a perfect voting record. 
He has never wavered on a single issue. I can't find people like that for six months, at least 15 years. Um, he, he has a heart of gold. You know, people make fun of him, calling him like a bungling fool, a nut case, and, you know, no one wants to be like him. I'll just tell you, you know, whenever I, I met with him, talked with him, there's no like political maneuvering and like, oh, this is how we own the libs or own the Democrats. It's just he really cares about issues. Nobody was willing to speak against this bill. So that was the irony. So normally you have Democrats have time, Republicans have time, and you have equal debate. But what happened was this was um, this was unbelievable. It truly was unbelievable. Because Democrats and Republicans were the same thing, so there was no opposition time, right? Now, Louis wanted to speak against the bill. The drivers of the bill, which was Doug Collins, Doug Collins from Georgia, just so you know, that man is a dirtbag. Dumb as mud, too, and he represents one of the top three conservative districts in the country, according to the Cook PVI. They didn't want to give him the two minutes to speak against the bill on the floor. So um, so he threatened to claim all the Democrat time in opposition because Democrats were rising in support. You have to understand there was no opposition. So theoretically, he was entitled to equal time. What was it, 15 minutes instead of two? Um, again, it's truncated. Normally you get more debate, um, but at this suspension bill. And you'll see he spoke at how he was a judge, he was a prosecutor, he worked in law enforcement. A lot of people forget that about Louis. And he was one of the first people to work with Ed Meese on true criminal justice reform, which was just really about simplifying the code, mens re, um, and all the BS regulatory crimes, none of which are addressed in this bill. God bless him. You know, I'll never forget... Um, and by the way, I'm just looking here. I'm trying to give you the vote tally, and it's just, it's still not there. This is really annoying. Oh, no, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Okay, I'll get to that in a minute. Might might be there. Um, but I'll never forget when we were working on that leadership rebellion against John Boehner. And it was this time of year. It was Christmas, New Year's, and then it was, you know, because that was the speaker fight was, you know, January 3rd when Congress was going to open up on on in tw January 2015. And we're organizing the the rebellion. And Jim Bridenstine was the one who was going to get up and nominate Louis Gohmert as the alternative speaker. And I remember, you know, now he's NASA director. Um, administrator, so you know I haven't spoken to him in ages, but I remember speaking to him the night before, and he was very, he was very scared. You know, he was a shy guy, very scared of getting up at that moment. It's, you know, disrupting what's what's normally a coronation and choreographed, and you actually use the house rules to disrupt it. And he was scared of Boehner's people booing him, and you know he got up there and he introduced Louis, nominated him by saying, you know, the famous Mark Twain. Quote, in the beginning of change, the patriot is a scarce man and brave and hated and scorned. When his cause succeeds, the 
timid join in for then it costs nothing to be a patriot. And that's just really, in my mind, sets the theme today of the lack of leadership when it matters. When we need it, when we need it most is when it's hardest, is when it's not cool. And that is Louis Gohmert. Terrific human being all around. Um, and, you know, Chris Matthews, remember when he said uh, Obama gives him tingles up his legs? Well, I'll say without any tinge of embarrassment that Louis Gohmert gives me tingles up my legs. So anyway, he spoke out against it, and it turns out there were um, 36 no votes. Okay? And by the way, I'm just having a hard time even finding this. Here we go. There were 36 no votes. Let it be known, folks. Every single Democrat, every House and Senate Democrat voted for this. I want you to understand how significant that is. Democrats are so radical, nothing is enough for them these days. And especially if they know that Trump supports it and he's going to kind of take credit, they, they're going to do everything they can to deny him. This is so liberal that every single Democrat voted for it. Never forget that. Never forget that. I'm just sending out to my colleagues. It looks like it was just posted. Um, here are the no votes. Abraham, Adderholt, Babin, Biggs, I'm so proud of him, Brooks, Buck, Byrne, Carter from Texas, Cloud from Texas, Duffy from Wisconsin, Gomert, Gosar, Higgins, Holding, Hudson, King of Iowa, Kustoff of Tennessee, Lamalfa of California, Marchin of Tennessee, Mullen, okay, well, there you go. Norman of um, South Carolina, Palazzo, Palmer, Pierce, Posey, Rice of South Carolina, Roby, so that's surprising, Rogers from Alabama, lots of Alabama people, Rakita, Rouser, Sanford, Smith, of Missouri, Smith of Nebraska, Weber of Texas, Wilson of South Carolina, Young of Alaska. Um, uh, what the holy hell? I, I'm literally doing this live. I'm just uh, Jordan and Meadows aren't on it. <laughs> I, again, I mean, he look, he's gonna hate it for me saying this publicly, but. Meadows hates this bill. I mean, we're texting about it for all, and he voted for it. Perry hates the. I mean, this just tells you, and again, some of it is that, you know, I, I know what's happening here. They didn't want to get on the president's bad side because they're trying to fight for the border wall, and they're like, you know, this is passing, passing by a mile. Why should I, you know, oppose it? But again, it, it's exactly what I told you in case some of you thought like, oh, you know, Daniel, why are these people disagreeing with you? I told you a vote doesn't indicate that. I know to you guys that exude common sense in the real world, you're like, well, if you agree with something, you vote for it. If you don't, you vote against it. That's not how it works in Washington. Because it's where is the center of gravity? Some will intellectually get involved in it. Some will not really agree with it, but they'll, they're too scared. Some will convince themselves they're doing good by not blowing themselves up by voting no, but then... 
But anyway, that's another thing. They, they shoved it through in the middle of a budget crisis. Under suspension. I mean, the biggest revamp. I mean, the truth is they're hurting themselves. They're not even going to have a major ceremony. They're doing it amidst the government shutdown threat. This is, this is what it took to pass this thing. They so badly don't want a real debate. Well, you know what? I want a debate. I want to work. I don't know where I'm going to get the money from. Starting a new law and order, forgotten victims, think tank, and C4 activist group to talk about the victims of illegal immigrants, the victims of crime in general. Put out real data and studies on this stuff. Someone's got to combat these vermin. Someone's got to combat them. But anyway, so we'll link to that. And that's the lesson. Nobody wanted to lead. Nobody. It's not that it's that popular. It's not. But all the fools are on the same side. Nobody wants to be caught against them. This was just so indefensible. You see what I'm saying? If you're like, it's time we reform criminal justice, how do you treat it like naming a post office? Don't you have more respect for your own bill? No, but the reality is they do, but they didn't want people to know. So anyway... That is with the jailbreak. Let's move on to the border budget fight. So as far as the border fight, again, finally, there was a modicum of leadership. And, you know, Trump is, looks like he's going to maybe, maybe fight. And finally, so one of the things we pointed out is that for the last seven times when we actually had more time, Republicans refused and conservatives refused to make the demand. And you saw the Freedom Caucus, too, was very tepid. They finally, finally fought. It better be worth it for them caving on jailbreak. Finally, finally fought. And got Trump's attention. And what I always noted, and I did an article earlier this week, is that Republicans always controlled the House easily. When you have a simple majority, it's like having 100 votes in the Senate, the equivalent in the House. You fully control what is going on. Okay? Why wouldn't you just, at least, not like right at the end, you build the narrative for weeks. You have... The House, you have floor control, and I'm going to get that in a minute, in the Senate. You have the veto pen of the White House and the bully pulpit of the White House. And in Trump, you have the biggest bully pulpit of all time. So you pass a good bill out of the House, send it to the Senate. You have a normal leader in the Senate that will immediately call up the bill on the floor. And then you have the president giving primetime speeches, banging away at them. We have the funding and we have the priorities in this. See, we have the positive on our side and they're the ones obstructing. But no, because you don't have everything in the Senate, you don't even start out. 
by passing a good bill out of the House. Now, it looks like they finally, so, so what happened was last night, the Senate downright unanimous consent passed a CR until February 8th. I mean, that, that's what Mitch McConnell's doing here. They want to go home. They're done. So the House just introduced a bill with $5 billion in border funding. Now, I'll be honest with you. Look, I'm going to enthusiastically support having a fight over it. But as I told you, $5 billion is not even the full wall. And it's going to take a while. In the meantime, we have an emergency where it doesn't matter. You know, I saw some of you might have seen me live tweeting today the House Judiciary hearing with Kirsten Nielsen. And of course, the Democrats were being extremely just terrible to her, ungentlemanly. And, you know, look, you know, I haven't been a big, biggest fan of hers, but she, you know, handled it with poise and grace. And she was pretty good. Um, she said a lot of interesting things. You know, for example, um, Andy Biggs, it might have, was it Andy Biggs? Or was it someone else? Was it, no, it was Steve King. Got her to admit, no, there's a lot more than 11 million illegals. She says it's probably somewhere between the 11 million and 22 million number. So that, that that's a big deal, just so you know. The magnitude of the problem. Um, the magnitude of the cost. And you look at the number of criminals. ICE just announced, I mean, they, they got 10,000 criminal alien gang members this year. And those are the ones they have. Like I said, sanctuary cities hide them. And that's where most of them live. So finally, they've introduced a good bill. Now, let me just tell you, it doesn't have any of our other riders, none of the, you know, nothing on the judiciary, asylum, UAC, sanctuary cities, just five billion funding. And of course, they have to stick in on the same day Trump is signing a farm bill with endless handouts, another nine billion in disasters aid to farmers. Okay, so that had to be in there. All right, fine, I'll bite. Doesn't have defunding Planned Parenthood. Okay, whatever, fine. We'll see what they do with this. Very fluid now. But what you would normally do is the president would give a primetime speech now. And then the McConnell, you pass it out of the House, McConnell would bring it to the Senate floor. And then I'm going to try to elaborate on this tomorrow in, in an article. But um, I want to point to you a website called legislativeprocedure.com. It was started by my buddy James Walner. He's a close friend of... Gaston Mooney, our president here, they served on the Senate Steering Committee together. Walner is the biggest nerd on Senate procedure in the history of the world. He's actually finishing a manuscript on a bill on history of the Senate and the whole philosophy behind it, how it's supposed to work. I was just speaking with him today, and um, there's a lot of good articles there. But the point he always says is people think it's like you, you, you try to bring up a vote, and then it's like, no, you need 60 votes. It doesn't work that way. The talking filibuster wasn't abolished. It's because a senator could always has the right to hold the floor. So you don't want them gumming up the works by speaking out, you know, uh, reading off telephone books or whatever throughout your speech. So often you'll ask for unanimous consent to proceed. So what they do now is they ask for unanimous consent and someone objects. Oh, that's it. It's shot down. It's shot. It's not true. It's not shot down. It's not that you need 60 votes to run the chamber. It's not true. With 51 votes, you control the chair. 
The vice president or his designee presides over the chair. Mike Pence could go in that chair and force a vote on anything. They could force a vote on anything. Period. There's no 60 vote threshold. It's that you need that to cut off the filibuster. But what's a filibuster is them holding the floor. You could force them to hold the floor. It's what I told you. When you believe in something, you don't say, well, I could get, I could do step one, two, and three, but four and five are going to be dicey. So I'm not going to do one, two, and three. You do one, two, and three, and that builds momentum for four and five, and then you fight for four and five. You pass it out of the House. You call up the vote on the Senate. It's on the floor now. The presiding officer calls her a vote. Okay, they take the floor to, but, but they don't even make them take the floor. They just say, well, they're going to object, so whatever. No, make them take the floor. See, if they take the floor, then there's no I object. I object is only if you ask for unanimous consent. I object, and then they walk away. But if you, if you, don't, you don't ask for unanimous consent, you ask for a vote. They have to start holding the floor and talking. How long are they willing to do that? And if you have a winning issue, you debate them. You hold the floor while they're holding the floor. Hold it open at night. Have the chair sleep there. That's what leadership is. And that's what we need people calling for that. See, I think some of you appreciate that there's a false dichotomy with the filibuster. On the one hand, you know, some of you are like, what the heck? We need to abolish a filibuster. There's, this is horrible. On the other hand, a lot of you know that, well, heck, you know, you know, often we lose and stupid people win. And, you know, you don't want a notion where you lose power and they could just screw you over. and There's nothing you can do. The answer is neither is true. Really, if you properly apply the Senate rules, um, it's the right balance that, if you're the majority party and you want to pass something, depending on how persistent you are and how persistent the minority is, that will determine the outcome. So they chew up the clock. And if you want to do 10 great things in a legislative year, you're not going to be able to do all of them. But you should be able to do some of them if you force them. And it depends who has the better argument. That's the beauty of the debate. And you take it out to the public. Let the public, that's how you take it out. To the, here, we don't even get to air our views. Have the bill. And Democrats have to sit and talk about the illegal aliens instead of Americans on Christmas. Let them do that. Hold it open on Christmas. Now's the time to do it. There's nothing worse than this shutdown. Thousands, tens of thousands being killed by drugs and gangs and the criminal aliens and the public charge in our schools and our culture. This is an invasion. It's got to stop. And it's killing them too. Kirsten Nielsen testified today that 60% of people experience violence, 30% of women are raped. So that's a huge number that come here. Say what you want about the violence in Central America. It's going down and it's nowhere near that. She said blatantly what I said. She said they come for economic reasons and she actually added, and as we said, for family reunification of people already here illegally. It's time, you know, I could hold the floor for hours speaking about every facet of immigration. We don't have the leadership. We have Roy Blunt is out there. I don't think it's a good idea to have a shutdown on Christmas. 
They're more worried about a non-essential personnel shutdown on the 25% of government that hasn't been funded. And, and probably the biggest agency that hasn't been funded is DHS. And DHS is shut down. They're shut down by the cartels. They're shut down by the courts. They're shut down by stupidity. So you're not changing anything by not funding them. You know, and they'll have to run anyway without pay. And don't use the, oh, they're not going to get paid. Give me a break. Everyone knows that once this is over, they always get retroactive pay. Look, if someone were to tell me that you might have to have extra money in your say in your checking account for an extra week or two, might be late, but you get now like this is not for the essential workers, but the non-essential workers, I hate when they bellyache about that. Who else in any profession could get a week or two or three of completely paid vacation? You just get it a week or two later. I'll take that any day of the week. So that's what's the that's the latest with the with the border fight. And uh, again, I just want to remind you folks that this could have been done before. Remember all my shows, my articles. I was begging the White House and and the Freedom Caucus for that matter in August. See, then you wouldn't have had the optics of Christmas. Not that I think it's you know would turn bad on us if we had a good messaging, but. You know, it was just the random August recess. And the, all these guys, they want to go home. They don't care about anything. You hold them over. I mean, where was the effort to force everyone's hand? Like, finally, the Freedom Caucus woke up. And then now the Republican Study Committee, which, you know, is the next tranche over of somewhat conservatives led by Mark Walker, are fighting. And, you know, again, I mean, they could cave by the time you wind up hearing this. They cave so quickly. But, um... You know, it's uh, it's just unbelievable that it took this long, but we'll see what happens. I'll take it. It's important. This is so important for our country. It really is. Um, you know, again, you watched that hearing today, and what what bothered me was there was no leadership, no narrative. The drug cartels and everything we're talking about, how they caused the gang and drug crisis in America. So it was a zero-sum game of trying to get Kirsten Nielsen to admit that somehow CBP was at fault for that seven-year-old dying. Are you kidding me? First of all, why is it we only hear about them dying when their parents and the drug cartels do it, and we never hear about the Americans dying? It's thousands because of them directly, and then the drugs is really tens of thousands. We never hear about it. We never hear about it at all. Why? Why? Why don't we ever hear about it? Because we don't have leadership, and that, that, that's the problem. See, every member should be set with talking points. I have enough material to supply all those members to give speeches all day on this, day and night. But there's no leadership on the outside. Very few. There's other people. There's great groups like Center for Immigration Studies. Um, and, and these members just don't care. They want to go home. But it doesn't have to be this way. Trump could bypass McConnell, instruct Mike Pence as vice president to seize control of the chair and um, force a vote. You know, you, you just need one member to bring it up and, you know, you get a guy like Tom Cotton or whatever. And that's it. We'd be in good shape. But there's no leadership. But anyway, I was saying it's very scary 
when you look at what's going on, my buddies at the Secure Free Society, headed by Joseph Humeyer, who is the official Latin American Affairs Advisor for the Conservative Conscience, we've had him on the show a couple of times, they just wrote up a report that we're going to link to, 16-page report, Intel report, on the source of the caravan. Keep in mind, Hugh Meyer and his buddies, they speak fluent Spanish. They have all the connections there. They have connections to Guatemalan Intel. They found, according to um, sources in Guatemala, they're known, the ones that they knew of, 189 non-Central American immigrants in the May-June caravan and 157 in the October one. Just the ones they saw. People from Pakistan, people from random African countries, Congo, Cameroon. They're coming from all over. And they note, what they say is they, they really go into great detail. You have to understand the geography and security situation of Honduras, Guatemala, and Mexico. But they took what's called an SIA route, special interest alien, the routes that um, the Middle Easterners take because it's not the quickest route and it's not the one where you're going to meet the security of those countries, you know, because they don't have the ability to have security at all entry levels. So they'll pick the areas where they don't have them. And it's a, it's a, it's called test ops. They, they, they have an operation to test you and your security. And they prove how it's run by this Pueblo Sin Frontieras. Sorry, my Spanish is bad. Uh, this group that works in Latin America to destabilize America. You know, when everyone's focused on the Middle East and every last thing, if you don't do this or that there, we're going to die when it's just not true. It's just the opposite. The more we go there, the more problems we have. We have Latin American affairs where you have really, you know, Iran, Russia, you want to talk about Russian influence. It's in Latin America and we don't counter it. And immigration is killing us. The culture, the, the fiscal cost, the crime, the, it's insane. And then what they're doing at our borders is, is they're giving tons of money. I mean, imagine if you, have, if you had ISIS at our border, okay? And you had an immigration system incentivized by erroneous policies in America and, ju- and judges in sanctuary cities to magnetize our border to create an entire economy for ISIS that A, enriches them, B, gives them a logistical, tactical approach and and to, to shutting down our border patrol with just migrants and then getting in their guys and drugs to kill our people and then C, getting their operatives on the interior of our country to develop networks for them. Well, that's what the drug cartels are, and they're every bit as bad as ISIS. ISIS can't affect us if we don't let them in through the visa system. And, by the way, through the SIAs, through the border. So this is a whole report there. But this group is tied to Maduro in Venezuela. And they have ties to, to Chicago and California.
to 501c3 base groups in California. They're part of this National Day Labor Organization Network and the Freedom for Immigrants. It's an American 501c3. Why aren't the feds going after them? They work with La Familia Latinda, Latina Unida in Chicago and Centro Sin Fronteras, an organization created in 1987 in Chicago that they're fighting, it's an organization fighting deportations. And then they're hooked up with the Catholic Legal Immigration Network, the American Immigration Council, the Refugee and Immigration Center for Education and Legal Services, and American Immigration Lawyers Association. Those are all Soros organizations. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a big problem. This is the type of stuff we need Republicans talking about. But again, the people that are willing to fight have to fight just because they're they're going to undermine us doesn't mean we should shirk from our responsibilities. Now, I bring this up because I want to talk to you about good news, but also tempering the good news, which is that, you know, well, okay, let's let's first get to the news. So Kirsten Nielsen announced today that they established a deal with Mexico with President AMLO, who's turning out to be at least more workable than we thought, to keep all asylum asylee claims in Mexico pending the outcome of their um their adjudication, which is that's what we were advocating for. Now, it's a little bit unclear if does this mean just the ones we catch between the points of entries or even the ones that do it at the points of entries? Because my fear is they're going to relent it at the points of entries or they'll allow the courts to get involved. And then it's going to be the same problem that even if you build a wall, even if you you know channel them to points of entry, they'll just all come to the points of entry. It's better than between the points of entry, I guess, in terms of the cartels, although the cartels will probably just get in on that. Right now, they're they're mainly not involved at the points of entry, but they'll they'll take over there too. Again, they'll go into whatever we're willing to accept. We create that economy. Now, the thing is, it's in statute. It's um, eight USC twelve fifty two. What is it? A two, um, or a two three? I'm not sure what it is, but anyway. It's in 1252 that any time the attorney general, in this case, DHS secretary under, you know, now that we have DHS, uh, creates an agreement with Mexico or another third-party country, there is no judicial review. Now, look, the courts just got involved in aspects of asylum where there's no judicial review, so it's not going to stop them. But again, it's our fault if we listen to them. So that is a very good solution. It, It should be applauded. But, you know, like a lot of things I've applauded, they wind up not panning out, but let's watch that. But again, what's important is, because you have to keep in mind, there's two types of special interest aliens. There's the general Middle Easterners that could become a problem, and we really don't want them here. And then there's the known terrorists. Known terrorists are going to try to sneak through with the cartels. But, you know, the regular Middle Easterners, they'll come at the points of entry, and they'll declare asylum and say that it's credible fear of persecution. 
which I think is a good segue into the Middle East. Talk about a lack of leadership on what it means to be a conservative. Now, I'm not doing this justice. I do not know if I'm going to have Foreign Policy Friday tomorrow to really go into this, you know, in depth. But I know a lot of you probably want to hear about Syria. So Trump has betrayed us in a lot of ways. Jailbreak. The budget bill, though he's walking that back and hopefully he'll fight. You had the farm bill. Um, I'm forgetting tons of other stuff. But, you know, a lot of people consider pulling out of Syria betrayal. And out of all things, and, and this is pretty unanimous except for the libertarians, which in some ways are right here. But even a lot of my colleagues and friends, and obviously Mark Levin, is very much, this is a terrible move. Look, I'm open to you guys explaining to me, you know, send me your thoughts why you think it's a bad idea. And there might be elements of this that are bad, but they're bad anyway. And I think there's only benefit to this. So we called for him to stop, you know, finally pull out. So you know what? He's doing it. And there's now news he might consider Afghanistan. I think we should take yes for an answer. The biggest argument my friends are saying is that this is going to hand Syria to Iran. I've never heard more counterintuitive arguments before. Our soldiers weren't fighting Iran. They were fighting the Sunni insurgency on behalf of Iran, Assad, and Russia. Meaning the very same people that said, oh my gosh, we got to get kill ISIS. So we did. They're like, oh my gosh, we got to kill Assad. Well, he's only powerful because we bailed them out. And everyone's like, we can't allow Russia to take over. The only reason why Russia was able to take over is because we held down the Sunni insurgency on their behalf. So they're saying you get out there becoming powerful. They're not looking at, they're looking at it in a vacuum. It's kind of like people say, Daniel, how do we afford health care if we end the subsidies? How do we afford farming if we end the subsidies? Well, if you got out of the market distortions, then you wouldn't have the problem. A lot of our foreign policy, it's very similar to domestic policy market distortions. We do stupid things that allow Russia to get involved on the cheap. See, Russia doesn't want to referee the civil war. That civil war is intractable. You're never going to end it. And there's one thing if you say, like, you know, the Sunni insurgency is so strong. Oh, we got to, we don't want to, the balance of power is so much to them. We have to get involved. I'm not saying I agree, but fine. But now the Sunni insurgency is, it's almost wiped out. So why spend the last vestiges? Why expend our soldiers clamping down on the last vestiges of the insurgency to strengthen Iran, leave it around to be a thorn in their side? Now, a lot of my friends say, Daniel, you know as well as I do that the Sunni-Shia divide is not true, that Iran is always working with al-Qaeda and ISIS when it benefits them. Yes, in a macro sense, and we need to combat that, and there's things we should do, but that's not in the proxy tribal warfares on Syrian soil. That they're actually fighting each other, and that we're bailing them out on, and that there's no way to get involved without gratuitously tipping the balance of power. And then there's another point that we only have 2,000 soldiers there. And we don't have nearly the infrastructure we have that we have in Afghanistan. So it's garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> to the degree you believe it's so important, we're not doing much there. H- how can you say it's like, this is it. Now they take over. Well, they already did take over. We're not fighting Iran. Anyway, 
We're fighting their enemies. Oh my gosh, now they're going to control a land bridge. You're right, but that ship sailed. And and what the, the, the way to stop that is by choking Hezbollah in Latin America on our own soil and prosecuting them, the terror finance, because that gives them the money to crush Israel. And, it, you know, uh, the sanctions, Trump caved on the sanctions. Criticize him on that. Criticize him on that. Meaning... You can't, you got to have a full vision. You can't look at one thing in a vacuum. And they're like, oh, Turkey, Turkey is going to crush the Kurds. Well, we should be using soft power and kick them out of NATO, divest from them, sanction them. But we don't need to be in the proxy war dumpster fire. I am not advocating Rand Paul's foreign policy. This is very different. This is not none, none of the above. We give you a holistic approach. Crush them, crush Iran and Turkey with sanctions. Kick them out of NATO in the case of Turkey. Divest from them. Don't allow them to invest in America. Don't have immigrants coming here from there. Crush their Latin American operation, which we could do tomorrow. Done. That's what you need to do. Now, look, I don't, sometimes you could do the right things for the wrong reasons. I don't like the fact that there's reports that Trump spoke to Erdogan right before, and it's almost like it's at, at, its, at its BS. But Turkey's already taking over there, and the 2,000 troops are not stopping him, and we already, the way to stop him is not the troops. It's soft power. I, you're right. I've criticized Trump for being weak on Erdogan. I don't get it. I mean, and I want to say with Mike Flynn, you know, and a lot of my friends are defending him. And like, you know, the whole point we were told that, oh, well, let's be close with Putin because he's a partner in saving Western civilization. Now, I don't agree with that. But what was the point that Putin was going to help us against who? People like Erdogan. So there's one thing if you have Russian collusion. Now, you know, we know that's mainly BS now. But really, Flynn to be on the payroll of Erdogan? I mean, say what you want about a, a runaway Mueller investigation, and, and there's a lot of multiple things that are true at the same time, but I've yet to hear anyone defend that in a way that's defensible. That's a very big problem. You know, I, I admired Flynn. I thought he was one of the few generals that was still good. It crushed me when I heard he was like, Erdogan? I mean, at least if you're going to be on the payroll of a thug, being on a guy who's crushing the Islamists. Erdogan is the head Islamist. So yeah, Trump is being very weak on, on Turkey, but that's besides the point. Finally, there's the argument of the Kurds. I, look, I used to be a little bit more pro-Kurds, even, even on our foreign policy Friday, but a lot has changed. The, the Talibani government is very corrupt. There's a lot of problems. They're, rather than what we thought them being a refuge for the Christians, they're, they're actually engaging in ethnic cleansing. There's a lot going on there. And you know, look, maybe you could have made the argument that had we invested in the Kurds rather than investing in all the other stupid things back in the day, they could have been more stable and better. But at this point, I mean, dude, I'm not going to fall on my and, – and I might. this is where Jordan Shackdale, I know he's very pro-Kurd. We might disagree a little bit on, on that point. But, I mean, dude, let's worry about the Western Hemisphere. Let's worry about our border. Let's worry about Hezbollah in Latin America. Let's, let's, let's do the things we could do, and it won't be weak. So of all things, I actually think Trump has good instincts on it. Now, again, I don't like that he spoke to Erdogan, and I don't like the Erdogan stuff, but there's multiple things that are true at the same time. 
that those are my baseline thoughts. They're very superficial. Um, so I don't have, you know, I, I, I didn't do it justice here in just 10 minutes. Um, so holy hell, as I'm talking to you now, Donald Trump just tweeted out general Jim Mattis will be retiring with distinction. That's a good thing. That is a good, good thing. Wow. Um, we need to think. I'm going to try to have a foreign policy Friday. That's insane. Wow. A lot, lot going on there. The point is we need leaders. We need leadership. I'm going to be speaking to you more how I think this Facebook group we could start might spawn the leadership. What we could do with Chip Roy, field hearings, a whistleblowing hotline slash website for the best house members to detail staffers to man it. I have different ideas that all kind of come together. I want to talk to you about, we need leadership because until and unless we have it, even our good guys will gravitate to the gravitational pull. And that is the very swamp that they claim to be fighting. A lot going on. I got to run. Hopefully we'll have one more show. If not, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's. Um, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Thank you for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.